Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. There has been a lot of talk recently about who Jesus was and is, from the Jesus Gets Us ad campaign to progressive Christianity, what did Jesus come to do here on earth, and who was he precisely? Well, Greg Kokel, who is from Stand to Reason, says, I want to tell you a story of an ancient sage who changed the world. This wise man fought for justice, championing the cause of the poor and the oppressed. He rejected organized religion, showing tolerance, not judgment, for the outcast and the socially marginalized. He promoted universal love and the brotherhood of man. His unflinching commitment to speak truth to power cost him his life. But his legacy lives on. He is a model for us today of love, acceptance, and inclusion. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> this is the story in some. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a noble tale, to, to be sure. But it's a falsehood, a fiction, an urban legend. Though the story is parroted like a, a mantra by multitudes, even echoed reflectively by the otherwise sound spiritual leaders who, who ought to know better, no such Jesus ever existed. Rather, taken as a whole, this version of Jesus is just another example of another Jesus bringing another gospel, like the, the ones that the Apostle Paul gave to us and gave to the Galatians. This is not the first legend about Jesus, of course. Paul chastised the Corinthians uh, somewhat sarcastically, actually, for their, their own cavalier embrace of teachers fabricating a false Christ generated by a false spirit bringing a false gospel. For if one comes and preaches, is, is what it says in the Bible, another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive different sp uh, spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. This comes from 2 Corinthians 11.4. The Corinthians were being led astray by the, the servant's crafty deception. Uh, Paul said, just as Eve was, this is in verse 3, abandoning simple devotion to the, the genuine Jesus for an alluring uh, in, invention and an alternative Christ. You see, the, the, the trend would continue in the future. Paul warned with the church turning their, their ticklish ears from truth to myth that legends choosing man-made fictions over doctrinal facts. He warned about this in 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 through 4. You see, Jesus himself warned of future interlopers, uh, imposters, masquerading as messiahs who would mislead many. That comes directly from Matthew 24, 24. Times have changed, and they have. 
but the trend has not. New Jesus legends abound. <laughs> the, the legend of Jesus, the, the, the mere mortal teacher, the, the legend of Jesus, the, the prophet of Allah, the, the socialist Jesus legend. How about the, the legend of the Gnostic Jesus, of the Gospel of Thomas? The legend of Jesus, the, the universal Christ. How about the, the LDS legend of Jesus? the spirit brother of Lucifer, as, as they call him, the, the New Age Jesus, the, the Hindu guru legend, and et cetera, et cetera, right? The remarking, I'm sorry, the remaking of the Jewish Messiah from Nazareth into a progressive advocate of social justice is, is just the latest example of the tendency people have to fashion Christ in their own social and spiritual and political image. Now, of course, in one sense, that shouldn't surprise us (laughs) at all. Most folks have a genuine respect for Jesus, as they should. It's understandable, then, that on on weighty matters, they'd want Jesus on their side. Here, the, the, the tail wags the dog, though. The point is not for any of us to get Jesus on our side but for us to get on the side of Jesus, hands to the plow, not looking back, fit for the kingdom. What precisely is Jesus' side, though? I mean, given the mismatch of myths, how do we separate wheat from chaff and fact from fiction and legend from history? We cannot follow Jesus if we do not have a clear idea of who the real flesh and blood Jesus of history was and which direction he is heading. But how do we know with with any confidence? Well, there is a reliable, uh, uncomplicated method that I employ to get an accurate, balanced, big picture, take, take on the topic in any section of scripture. It's perfectly suited for this task. Say, for example, I want to know something about how God supernaturally guided the early church or what Proverbs teaches on leadership or what the New Testament instructs on prayer or how about the disciples of of Jesus and what they preached uh, in, in the book of Acts and what kind of gospel they preach there. Well, I simply read every word of the biblical material. I'm, I look at what I'm interested in. I read that. I isolate every passage that, that's germane to, to my topic, and then collate the passages in which, uh, which I'm reading in an orderly way to create a, a thorough, complete, and precise portrayal of the topic. It is simple. It really is that simple. Just look at the Bible, bring all the scripture together, and make sure that I'm taking it in context. Now, it is labor-intensive. Yes, it is. It's it's a technique that anyone can use to get the full counsel of any section of scripture on any topic. This approach might be problematic, though, for some particularly for the more progressive types who who favor the social justice Jesus version. They simply do not trust the record. 
To, to many of them, Scripture is not an authoritative account of, of what God revealed to man, but simply one version of what certain ancient people believed about God. The Gospels are humanly inspired, according to them, not divinely inspired. They're man-made, not God-breathed. Uh, no matter, no matter though, that distinction makes absolutely no difference to, to this assessment. And here's why. Nothing about what, what, what we're, we're talking about here today has anything to do with whether or not the Bible is divinely inspired. Though, you know, that is my view, obviously. It, it is a separate issue for now. Here's, here's the real issue. We have one body of detailed information about Jesus. And what is that? That's the canonized Gospels. That's the Bible. That's what we have today that we call the Bible. We can accept them as divinely inspired or not. We can accept those books of the Bible. We can accept them, as many scholars do, as non-inspired human documents that are on the main historically accurate. Uh, We can even accept them as error-ridden musings by, by primitive people about God and Jesus. What we cannot do, though, is reject the gospel accounts out of hand and then advance our own personal opinion of the Jesus of the gospels, since there will be no Jesus left to have a personal opinion about, right? So we can do all those things. We just cannot throw it all away. Now, reject the record, and, and, and you forfeit your opinion on the man of the record, if that makes sense. It's, it really is that simple. And of course, if you cherry-pick versions and verses uh, to fashion a, a Jesus in your own image, then I have really nothing to offer you. <laughs> I mean, I mean if, it, if that's your, your, your project, then you are welcome to your fantasy. But do not make the mistake that that views of your made-up Christ for the views of Jesus of Nazareth. The legend will reflect your opinions, not his. So our, our question here is simple. What did Jesus come to do? Preach a, a socialistic a redistribution of wealth? How about uh, introduce human New Age Hinduism uh, to Torah-observant Jews? Uh, prophesy for Allah, maybe. How about teach us how to attain personal godhood or accomplish Christ uh, consciousness? Uh, advocate for the poor, maybe, the, the marginal um, and, the, and the disenfranchised in a campaign for social justice. Well, let's, let's see. To separate the real Jesus from legendary Christ of any sort, simply em- em- employ this system. Carefully read every line of every gospel and isolate every passage that spoke of Jesus' purpose. Uh, references either from, from Jesus himself, from clues in the birth narratives, or, the, or from statements from Jesus' forerunners, uh, John the Baptist even. Also, isolate every reference to the poor. So, my search regarding the poor revealed something surprising. Uh, considering the, 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 the breadth of the record, it, it turns out that Jesus almost never spoke of the poor. Did you hear what I said? 
Jesus almost never spoke of the poor. He made only 10 specific references to the poor of different sorts, not counting parallel passages and things like that. Even this small number overstates the issue, really. In the vast majority of the cases where Jesus mentions the poor, he does not he 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 does so not to um commend the poor as such but to make a point about something else uh, like hypocrisy uh, a widow's generosity um Zacchaeus's um repentance the, the the young rich ruler's confusion or a lesson about the afterlife jesus did care about uh, financially the financially destitute of course he did and, and 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 enjoyed charity and compassion for them through kindness and and voluntary giving to to the disadvantaged. Uh, we 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 see that in Luke twelve, Luke fourteen, that type of thing. A, a a point John the Baptist emphasizes as well. He emphasized that in Luke three eleven. And campaigning for the poor, however, was not a part of his project. In one case, Jesus actually was dismissive of the poor, believe it or not, when he compared, uh, when, when compared to something else that, that was his, his greatest concern, when he said, for you always have the poor with, and, and you have them with you, but you do not always have me. That is from Matthew 26, 11. And of course, Mark 14, five through nine, John 12 and eight. What was, what was it about Jesus himself that defined his mission in a way that completely eclipsed a, a, a legitimate and an appropriate concern for the financial destitute? Well, Jesus' three remaining references to the poor answer that question. In only two instances did Jesus identify anything about his mission with, with, who, with those people that he considered poor. Then preaching on, on the Sabbath at the, at the synagogue in Nazareth, he said this. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of of the Lord. Of course, that's directly from Luke, Luke 4, 18 through 19. Now, when John the Baptist sent word from prison questioning um, in, in his dark moments whether or not Jesus was indeed the expected one, Jesus responded to his doubts by reporting the fulfillment of his earlier claim. Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight and the lame walk and the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. That's Matthew 11 and Luke 7. Now, note note two important things about the poor and oppressed from these passages. First, it is clear in both references that foundation that, that foundational to Jesus' ministry of mercy, giving sight to the blind, healing the lame, cleansing the lepers, raising the dead, it, it was it was preaching the gospel to the poor. And second, Jesus' sermon on on that Sabbath in, in Nazareth 
is the only place that he makes mention of concern of the of the, of the oppressed. Peter, however, gives us insight into the kind of oppression Jesus had in mind when he said, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil. For God was with him, of him. All the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him believes forgiveness of sins. Acts 10. Now, taken together, these passages about the poor paint a clear picture of Jesus' intent. It really does. The poor were to receive the gospel, have their sins forgiven, and be released from the devil's power. That last point, underscored by Jesus, it, it, it's consistent practice of, of, of freeing people from demon possession. What kind of poor would receive this gospel message of, of forgiveness and thus be freed from the oppression of the devil? Well, not the proud, the pharisaical, self-righteous but rather those who understood their spiritual poverty, which is precisely the point Jesus makes in his sole remaining reference to the poor. And he says this, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Clearly, contending for the financially destitute as such, was was not his concern, nor was campaigning on behalf of the marginalized and the disenfranchised or the socially oppressed. Jesus' central concern was bringing forth a kingdom in a way that securely secured liberty for the captives through the forgiveness of sin. A fact that Every one of my remaining gospel passages here about Jesus and his mission makes manifestly clear. On this point, I, 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 will, I will simply let the record speak for itself. From the outset, the gospels paint a clear picture of Christ's purpose. And I'm going to go through these, and, 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 and it might be just a bit tedious, but I'm going to go through these because I, I think it makes a point. The earliest reference comes from the prophet Micah. It says, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That was Matthew 2, 6 and Micah 5, 2. Ze- Zacharias uh, weighs in next when he prophesies at the birth of his son, John the Baptist. He says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Luke 1. At the outset, uh, 
of Jesus' public ministry, the forerunner, John the Baptist, fulfills his father's prophecy by giving the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Did you hear that? He points to Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He also says that Jesus would baptize with the Spirit and with fire, with salvation or with judgment, Matthew 3. These are just some of the passages. I mean, in, in these initial gospel passages, uh, the, there, there is a precise profile that emerges. A, a Savior named Jesus, who is Christ the, the Lord, the Son of the Most High God, will be born in Bethlehem to shepherd Israel as the sacrificial Lamb of God. He will bring salvation and redemption through the forgiveness of sins, baptizing some with, with the Holy Spirit and others with a fire of judgment. He will be given the throne of his father David and rule over an everlasting kingdom. Something seems to be missing here, though. There is nothing in these descriptions of Jesus by any of his various forerunners that suggests a single element of the social justice Jesus described earlier. As it turns out, there is nothing like that in Jesus' own claims about himself either. Here, here is what he says about himself. Jesus had much to say about his own mission, and he said that he came to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. That's right directly from Luke 4, 43. He made clear, though, that his kingdom was not of this world, John 18, at, at, at least initially anyway. It was it was not a physical kingdom bringing social justice and, and wealth redistribution or or political or cultural equity. Rather, it was a spiritual kingdom bringing forgiveness and salvation and eternal life. I mean, listen to what he says. Here's here's Luke 19.10. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. John 3.17. For God did did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. How about Luke 5.32? I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Matthew 20.28, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. John 6.38-39, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me me that all that of all that he has given me i lose nothing but raise it up on the last day for jesus salvation was not economic prosperity for jesus it wasn't equal distribution of goods for jesus it wasn't even sexual liberty without judgment or shame instead salvation came through belief in him bringing forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Dare I say, a relationship with a living Christ. How about John 3, 3, uh, 16 through 17? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, 
but that the world might be saved through him. And of course, John 3, 36, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Matthew 9, 6, but so that you may know that the Son of God has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paraplegic, get up, um, uh, get up and, and, and pick up your bed and go home. Paralytic. Now Luke 5, 12, 20 says, seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Luke 7 says, for this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. You see, Jesus knew that in order to to accommodate his mission, he must suffer, die, and be raised up again, just as Moses and the prophets had foretold. Luke 12, 51, do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no, but rather division. That's what he said. Matthew 16, 21, from the time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and and the chief priests and the scribes and, and to be killed and to be raised up on the third day. John 12, 27, now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Matthew 26, 28, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Luke 24, now he said to them, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name and all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And see, there you have it. The complete record of Jesus and his own statements about his purpose and mission. And once again, something's missing. Any evidence of any kind that Jesus saw himself as an advocate for social justice? It's just not there. Not a single word of it is there. And to be clear, there is no question that that God in, in, in Scripture has a heart for the genuine oppressed and the destitute. And, and, and Jesus, as God, shared that concern, as did his church. I mean, you can look, you can look in Acts, Acts 6, I believe it is, where where the, the, the church was exploding, things were growing, everything was going great. And then the Hellenists said, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're not feeding the widows very well. And that wasn't even their job to do. I mean, it wasn't even, it, the Jews were at that time taking care of them. But because these widows were a part of this growing church, which, which was a threat to them, they stopped feeding them. And here the Hellenists are going, wait, 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 wait. We're not doing a very good job of feeding these widows, these poor, these destitute, these marginalized. You see, when Jesus encountered deep 
human need. He responded with compassionate action. You see, characteristically, he, he, he was healing the sick. He was casting out demons. He was raising the dead. And in, and in two instances, he physically feeding multitudes. He literally fed 5,000. And, and, and really, in, in the Bible, it counted the 5,000 as probably 5,000 men. There were probably maybe at least 10,000 actually there, actual people. Because it was just the men that were being counted at that time. But even so, Jesus' Jesus' principal purpose was redressing spiritual poverty. Not not, uh, rectifying some social inequities. Listen, though, listen through the, the plethora of Bible passages that have been a bit taxing, I know. I'm I'm glad that you you stayed with me on this. But you have to understand that this Jesus, this Jesus that that we are are hearing that was only there, not really God. He 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 just was a really good guy who just showed us how to love. Well, that's not that's not the Jesus of the Bible. Did Jesus t- take care of the poor and the downtrodden and the marginalized? Yes. He also cared about the rich and the powerful and the socially adva- advantaged. I mean, Jesus cared about everyone and he helped everyone who came to him, poor beggar or prostitute or wealthy tax collector or Pharisee. You see, it is the right answer to say that Jesus saves our souls. That's what he was here to do. It, 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 it turns out he's not some prophet of Allah. He's not some social Jesus, uh, socialist Jesus. He's not an, a, a Gnostic Jesus. He's not a universal uh, Christ Jesus. None of this. He's none of that. All of that is just falsehood, fiction, and urban legend. And you may agree with me. You may disagree with me on this, but I would definitely love to hear from you on it. And of course, you can always do that at UncommonSensePodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.